0: My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth.
3: What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear,
1: I don't give a damn. I could have
4: been a contender. Fasten in your seat. I could have been somebody. They
2: can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an awful deal. All real, Love it is... It is... Wow. Too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. No,
4: I loathe you. I, you know, I love you
2: I did as instructed.
4: If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't
1: reality TV! Respect it! validate it! Remember that's what you told me! It's time, Robbie!
2: Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And
1: the Oscar goes to Green Book.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 169 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Negley, at time of recording, 10.04 a.m. on November 24th, 2019. Joining me today, I have Casey Lee Clark. Hello. Josh Parham hello hello Cody Derricks hiya and everyone please join me in giving a huge welcome to the next best picture family Rebecca Daniel everyone
0: hi everyone
2: First podcast with us, Rebecca. We're so so excited to have you. For our listeners out there, um, tell them a little bit about yourself uh, in regards to I don't know. You don't have to get personal, nothing, but like, what was your favorite movie last year? For example, do you have any favorite movies of all time?
0: Uh, My favorite movie last year was definitely A Star Is Born. I saw it several times in the theater. I just loved it. I loved bradley cooper and lady gaga's chemistry i loved the music in it it was a definite favorite of mine
2: yeah i understand that you're very very fond of musicals in general
0: i am i love musicals i love la la land i love the sound of music i love greece just any movie like that chicago moulin rouge
1: those are some favorites for me you'll fit right in with a lot of us here yep (laughs) Yeah, we're so,
2: so super excited to have you on board. Uh, Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I can't wait for our listeners to get an idea of who you are. And um, you came right in the nick of time, too, because uh, we're right now in the thick of award season. We said last week that things were going to uh, really start to pick up with the independent uh, Spirit Award nominations. And sure enough, they did. They were announced on the 21st. And that show will take place, as always, the night before the Oscars on February 8th. 2020 but before we get to the deep dive in with the spirit awards and we uh you know dissect what they mean what they don't mean and things of that nature um we are going to be talking about um also two trailers today for emma and antebellum we're going to go over the polls we're going to answer people's fan questions but i'm going to ask a question right now what did everyone see in the movie theater this week i started off first with josh parham
4: Uh, well, I actually caught up with a ton of stuff, uh, over this week. Um, saw a lot of interesting movies, actually. Uh, I did manage to see Queen and Slim, which I liked. I didn't love it. Um, the directing and the writing are really, really good in it, but the script is a major problem with it. Um, and that was kind of disappointing. So overall, it's good, but it does have some issues. We'll be talking a lot more about that later. Uh... And then after that, I saw Honey Boy, which I also really liked. And Shia LaBeouf uh, signed me up for the Oscar campaign. He is so good in it. I cannot recommend people. Uh, I cannot recommend enough for people to go out and just see that movie for him. He is so so good in it. Uh, and then after that, I did manage to check out um, Waves, actually, which was also good. Um, I I am a big fan of Trey Edward Schultz, but I think that movie definitely has some issues in pacing in the second half, but overall, it's still a really, really good movie. Um, and I also saw Knives Out along with the rest of Twitter over the weekend. (laughs) And it was a movie that I think is super, super fun and enjoyable. I don't know if it's like top 10 of the year for me, but it's a really, really good time. And I would, it's like an easy recommendation. And then, wow, it keeps going. Well, I got one more movie. And that is Frozen 2. And I'm not really going to talk about it because I didn't really like it very much. So <laughs> that, <laughs> that was basically that was basically it. it was, overall, it was a very busy weekend of movies, but also um, overall pretty good.
2: Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's a really, really packed week uh, filled with a lot of variety in there. So that's really, really exciting, Josh, for sure.
4: Yeah. Near the end of the year.
2: Yeah, and I'm and I'm also wanted to say as a side note, I'm glad that you're on the uh, Shia LaBeouf Best Supporting Actor train. Um, it's just very unfortunate that everyone keeps telling us to get off said train. Uh, so
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get it, but it's like if you just see the movie, it's so like kind of undeniable, at least to me, how just fantastic he is And a film that can be kind of uneven at some at some points, but he is consistently so captivating in it.
2: It's the best work of his career uh, by far. Uh, I I don't think there's any doubt about that. Mm All right, passing it over now to Casey. Casey, what did you see this week?
3: Yeah, I had a pretty packed week at the movies. Not compared to Josh, but for me, I had a packed week at the movies. Um, Monday, I saw Ford v. Ferrari, which I really liked. I think that it's one of those where it's just a perfectly good movie, and I would probably recommend it to anybody. I think Christian Bale's fantastic in it. I think that The editing and sound work is great. And it's one of the few movies this year where I generally was just invested in the movie the whole time and not thinking about other things, which was a pleasant surprise. So overall, I enjoyed that one. I think that's a perfectly easy recommendation. Friday, I saw A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which has now made its way into my favorites of the year. I think that it's pretty brilliant in its storytelling. I think that the two main performances from Matthew Reese and Tom Hanks are stunning and i think that it just moved me so much on a personal level and also just like it i i i feel like i it's hard for me to talk about it but we have a review coming this week that i will try to be on for that all right uh and then last night i saw irishman a second time still great i genuinely i'm like i feel like i've been in two hour movies that feel longer than that so like which is such a testament to that film and yeah, there's still so much that I want to explore with it, and its I'm glad that it holds up on a second watch.
2: Well, be prepared, Casey. We'll be talking about that movie, I'm sure, for the next two months
1: nonstop.
2: Heck yeah. <laughs> All right, Cody, what do you got?
1: So like everybody else said, this is kind of the time of year where it's like, oh, I have um, you know, a three-hour window in any day of the week. I guess I'll just pop down in the movies because there's so much stuff to see. Um, and I'm just looking at my letterbox right now and I'm like, oh yeah, no, I've been spending a lot of time in the movies, which is, you know, good. I It's the thing I enjoy doing. Um, I saw marriage story on beautiful 35 millimeter and I really enjoyed that. Um, nice. I found it profoundly upsetting in a in a really wonderful way. I said it's like watching somebody else's therapy session almost
2: highly recommend people listen to our podcast review on that, by the way, because we had a very, very interesting back and forth discussion on the perspectives of that movie and who's right, who's wrong. And I, I really, really liked that we took some time to actually explore that, uh, which I found very, uh, very fun.
1: Totally. Um, yeah, I, I thought i driver was like the real deal in that I, I can absolutely see him winning for that less so on Scarlett Johansson and Laura Dern but I mean we'll see how the year shakes up but that was just my takeaway from watching it Um, not that the Academy always cares about actual um, you know what is actually the best performance in terms of awarding statues not that either of them is bad but you know what I mean Um, and then I saw Ford v Ferrari which is not really for me but you know it's solidly well made and uh, I liked when it was loud I don't know
2: (laughs) it's one of those movies where like I feel like uh, I've seen like Three people do this in person when they tell me they saw a Ford v Ferrari. They make the fist with their hand and they do like the tough guy face. And they're like, solid. Yeah. You know? And they just like nod. And I'm like, yeah, it
1: pretty much is. It's a solid movie. <laughs> For the first hour and a half, I was like, I don't know, guys. This is a lot of talking about like carbines and Engines. I know nothing about cars, clearly. Um, and then the last hour was really great because that was almost entirely about the race at Le Mans, and that was really exciting filmmaking. So it was worth seeing just for that, at least. And I saw Frozen Two, which you can hear all my thoughts on the podcast discussion. So I'll leave that for that. And then um, what else? Did I see. Oh, Knives Out. I saw Knives Out uh, at a, like a some sort of AMC special thing. I, I'm I'm like Josh. I I enjoyed it. I found it very fun. It. Is nowhere near my top twenty even, um of the year so far. And it, it but it's like a it's a good time. And I, I, I think it says a lot about Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker that I really enjoy Knives Out, but it is possibly my least favorite of all his movies. But that's not that's like a good thing. If that's your, you know, bottom tier, you are really a filmmaker that's gonna last.
2: Yeah. I hear you on that one. Uh, He's definitely a very gifted storyteller, and uh, I want him to keep making more movies because I feel like he hasn't made that many. Uh, But every time he does come out with something, it's always something that's worth checking out for sure. And now our newest contributor here to Next Best Picture, Rebecca. Tell everyone what you saw in the movie theater this week.
0: Uh, I saw Knives Out this weekend at the AMC screening, and I was so excited to see that movie. And I had a really good time with it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um I loved the cast. I thought they just played their roles so well. And I thought it was really stylishly directed. Um I thought Ryan Johnson did a really great job with it. And it really kept me guessing. So I had a great time and I'm definitely going to see that one again.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um I've seen it twice now. I plan on seeing it over Thanksgiving holiday. I want to take my family to actually see it. I think it's like one of those like perfect uh, movies in terms of an entertainment value, but also at the same time, like, hey, some quality filmmaking, you know? Uh, <laughs> so um, I'm going to end it by saying that I only saw one new movie this week, uh, but it was a big one. Um, I saw 1917 yesterday. And while I'm not able to review it necessarily, the embargo um, lifts uh tomorrow. Um, I'm allowed to give a a reaction, if you will. So I think it's maybe best if I just talk about it in terms of its uh, uh, awards prospects. Uh, Let me put it to you guys this way. I think this is the best war film of the decade. Better than Dunkirk. And I think that it is going to be massive with the Academy this year. And when I say that, I I don't mean in terms of nomination hall. Uh, I still have Irishman getting more nominations than 1917. I was going through my list and tallying everything up, even just from a prospect uh, standpoint. And I still have Irishman coming out on top. However, I can pretty much with almost full confidence say, I think 1917 has four Oscars already won walking in the door. So that would be uh, both sounds, cinematography for Roger Deakins. And uh, I think this is Thomas Newman's time. For the score, um, unless if John Williams does something truly incredible with Rise of Skywalker uh, that really, really blows us all away, that uh, eclipses what he did in Last Jedi and Force Awakens, this this has to go to Newman. And there was one scene in particular where the combination of Deacon's uh, camera work, where the story was at in terms of uh, the emotional climax, and Newman's score it brought tears to my eyes. And it wasn't even like a sad scene or anything like that. It was just the power of cinema moving me like so, so much. And uh, I saw it with Dan Baer and he too um, got emotional during that moment. And it was just such a stirring, powerful experience to watch this, uh, you know, one take epic. And and, and yeah, listen, it's made to look like one take. It's not there are clear edits in the movie i would say even more so than birdman uh but they're very very deliberate but that like leads me to think that you know maybe it does get a best film editing nomination um you know there's other things too that are on the table uh, george mckay uh could be in the best actor conversation potentially you know the screenplay it could also be in there i know sometimes with war films people are like uh oh, you know it's more about the technicals. but there's a really really emotional story here um that i think is going to I think audiences are going to really, really connect with the performances from uh, George McKay, Dean Charles Chapman. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to carry it through pretty far.
1: So my question is, um, Thomas Newman is a composer who, without trying to sound mean, I feel like he is very guilty of self-plagiarization. Pla- I mean, it it really could be called just a style of composing, but I, I truly find that so many of his scores sound the same. Does this sound like some of his other work? Like, I feel like he's been kind of pilfering from his American Beauty score for the past, like, 20 years, which is, like, fine, and, you know, it works for him, but um, d- does, does it sound like American Beauty, essentially? This, to me, the reason why I, I think it's maybe
2: the best score I've heard this year is I'm already a fan of Thomas Newman to begin with and his style, as you say. This is kind of like a combination of Thomas Newman's greatest hits.
1: Okay. Coming together. Totally, yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, also, uh, do you think it has a chance in visual effects at all? Which I know Dunkirk failed to do. If we are making the easy comparison to Dunkirk. I don't think so. However, with five nominees in
2: makeup and hairstyling, I could definitely see uh, some war wounds True. making a play.
4: Uh, uh, I, I actually have a question. Um I know that you said that you think George McKay could possibly contend in best actor. Um, I guess I wonder how realistic you think that is and if this is a movie that will have a lot of appeal from an acting standpoint, because that's usually the place where war films do kind of get tripped up is that there is this big technical spectacle. But it's the acting that doesn't really come across to a lot of people. And that's kind of the the roadblock to really
2: get you to like a best picture win. I think he could be a BAFTA nominee. There's a
1: world where I see something like that happening. Mm -hmm. But this isn't like an Andrew Garfield, and Hacksaw Ridge, like very emotional focus on him kind of performance. Yeah. So I,
2: I look at it as this is going to be the thing that catapults him to the next big project that could be that Oscar nominated role if that makes
1: sense? Yep, totally.
2: So, I mean, like, you know, we already saw him in Captain Fantastic a few years ago, um, and while that was very much Viggo Mortensen's movie, uh, this is very much uh, George and Dean Charles Chapman really, really coming uh, to the forefront here, and yeah, it's like, while I don't necessarily think they are seriously heavily in the conversation, um, there will be fans and there will be people that will push for it. And the movie, I think, is going to be so beloved that it could be a coattail thing in some cases. Um, I don't personally see it materializing come Oscar time, but I I can see if the love for this movie is as strong as I believe it is going to be, I, I, I could see some other uh, interesting things happening as a result of that. For example, like um, like SAG Ensemble um, for stunts, you know, uh, th- th- that seems like it's it could be a no brainer. Yeah,
1: totally.
2: Uh, and there's a lot of other things that you know from it like I said, just because I feel like this is going to be like an across the board player throughout the season, uh, you know, with things like PGA, DGA, and uh, the all the guilds. Um, it it'll be very very interesting to see wh- where it pops up unexpectedly, maybe in some instances. You know what I mean.
1: So besides the techs, which we are all pretty um, – the, the ones you said were going to win, I feel like a lot of us were already predicting. I think the big question mark that a lot of us had was in best director, is this going to be uh, the case that has been for most of the decade or a good chunk of the decade at least where best director prize, even if it doesn't go to best picture, goes to like the technical achievement of the year? Does this kind of feel like it falls in line with that?
2: It is my personal belief right now that 1917 is more of a best director play than a best picture play.
1: Definitely. prefer okay. to win. That's what, that's what I got from that. Yeah. However,
2: you know, things can happen. Like I said, it, it, it might be powerful enough that it gets that that amount of number one votes and it, it could happen totally. You know, but then you start getting into the, te- you know, the details of, will it have a corresponding acting nomination? Will it get a screenplay nomination and things of that nature? And it's like, you know, you have to go all the way back to uh, Braveheart for a film that won Best Picture without screenplay or acting. You know, that, that, that it, it's tricky in that regard. I wonder sometimes if it was under the old system uh, for uh, picking a Best Picture winner, if 1917 would be able to overcome that hurdle um, with the preferential ballot being what it is. You know, it's been 20 years since Sam Mendes won the Oscar for American Beauty, and there is like a weird part of me that thinks that that there is like this subtextual narrative that we kind of want to erase American Beauty, if you will.
1: Or at least kind of do a thing that the Academy likes to do where they give a second Oscar to somebody, usually acting, but it could be directing, where it's like, no, no, see, we stand by our decision. Like, we made the right call the first time, and we're so sure of it that we're going to like double down. Um, and give it to him again. Not that Academy voters are thinking that in depth about it, but it yeah. does read is that
2: it, I will say that I, I do think it's the best direction that he's ever done in anything. I think there is a very, very strong case for him to win. Uh, on that alone and it's all going to come down to a matter of do enough people think this is the best thing that Tarantino's ever directed do enough people think this is the best thing that Martin Scorsese's ever directed is Bong Joon-ho going to be able to ride a, a wave you know to a win I mean we're you know I, I've I've said on the podcast before I think that Marriage Story is the best thing that Noah Baumbach has directed and it's just it's all going to just be a matter of weighing this you know one against the other it's it's tough I, I would say while I do think it's got a very very likely shot in that category to win um I'm still very unsure and I, steep, I still keep going back and forth um I wouldn't I wouldn't I don't want to be so uh forward and saying oh it's gonna sweep and it's a lock and it's the front runner and like all this stuff I don't I don't want to go there necessarily just yet'
4: cool.
1: <laughs> ah, fantastic testimonies. Oh, thanks, guys. Absolutely genuine and real. <laughs> and if you want to give a genuine testimony as well, go ahead and search for IMDb Journey. You can find us on all your favorite podcast sites, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So come along
2: and join our journey. Let's move over now to uh, the Independent Spirit Awards. So nominations, as I said, were announced this week. They always take place before the night before the Oscars. Uh, Let's go through the categories here. Let's uh, give some thoughts on what we think here, maybe some stuff that missed out that you were kind of disappointed by. Uh, First things first, Robert Altman Award for Best Ensemble goes to Marriage Story, which means that Marriage Story did not get to compete in Best Actor, Actress, Supporting Actress. And also, too, this was interesting to me. I I received a note from Netflix saying that um, Noah Baumbach was not eligible then for Best Director, which... I found it interesting because I thought maybe there might have been a rule change on that because Moonlight, for example, uh, got the Robert Altman Award one year. But Barry Jenkins won Best Director for Moonlight. So mm. I, w- I was a little unsure as to what the deal was with that one necessarily. But uh, what do you guys think of Marriage Story getting the award, uh, you know, in the, in this case?
1: I mean, that makes sense. It's usually yeah. kind of like the closest approximation to um a SAG Ensemble Award usually, so it kind of usually goes to the movie that feels the most like that. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at the website now, and it says yeah, director and casting directors get the awards now. I don't know if that was the case, like you said in 2016. Yeah. It, I didn't think it was yeah. either, um, but I guess uh, I guess that makes sense. I will say this too: what
2: I what I like about it is that it freed up the acting
1: categories.
3: Yeah, that's mm. what I was going to say. I think especially it, it made being, things
2: more unpredictable now. Yeah.
3: I think especially it being like, I would say probably the biggest awards contender qualifying for these, awards, you know? Yeah. So that I think it was nice that like it frees up those. And I think it also like, like we knew that driver and Johansson and Dern are going to get nominations throughout the season. So it's nice that people like Julie Haggerty and Merritt Weaver and Ray Liotta get a little love up there as well.
2: Absolutely.
4: It almost feels kind of strategic from the spirits to be like, well, If we let Marriage Story compete in these other categories, we know that they're guaranteed some acting spots. So let's intentionally like give them something separate so we can open this up to other people.
2: Yeah, it it did kind of come across that way just ever so slightly. But at the same time, I'm not complaining because I do think it's a very worthy ensemble. So,
4: oh, absolutely it is. But it is also kind of interesting that as soon as you do that, like three guaranteed spots that that movie had now open up to other films, which is also kind of nice. too.
2: Yeah. Uh, someone to Watch Award, uh, Rashad Ernesto Green for Premature, Ash Mayfair for The Third Wife, and Joe Talbot for The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, the Third Wife was something that showed up in a couple of different categories. I haven't seen yeah. that one. Has anyone here seen that?
0: I haven't seen it either. Mm, no. nope.
2: Interesting. Uh, yeah, I think Joe Talbot's going to walk away with that uh, easily. Yeah. Last Black Man in San Francisco is pretty popular at the moment. Uh, best International Film? We have Invisible Life, Les Miserables, yes. Parasite, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, Retableau, and The Souvenir, which was a nice surprise there. But then I remembered uh, The Favorite uh, also was in that category last year as well. Yep. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this, I love this because, you know, we're, we're really getting a nice mixture here. And uh, it's nice to see, you know, Les Miserables and Portrait of Lady on Fire like in the same category, which is not which is something that's not going to happen at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And just as a quick side note here, Portrait of a Lady on Fire um, being pushed now to uh, wide release for uh, 2020. So mad. Uh, Only getting a one-week theatrical engagement run, or two weeks, something along those lines, in New York and L.A. So a lot of us are going to have to uh, wait a while to see that one. I I still don't know if that's the right move or not.
4: Yeah. (sighs) Well, I... I understand why they did it, because I do think Les Mis is a kind of more accessible movie than Portrait of Lady on Fire. But I very much prefer the latter. I'm Me glad too. I got to see it at my festival. Otherwise, I would be waiting until February to see it,
2: because right. it's really, really good. Well, if you're an Independent Spirit Award uh, voting member, you do get the screeners for free. So there's, there is that.
3: <laughs> yeah. Invisible Life is also fantastic, so I'm really happy that got in there.
2: Yeah. Uh, best Documentary? American Factory, Apollo 11, For Sama, Honeyland, Island of the Hungry Ghosts. Uh, Island of the Hungry Ghosts is the only one I have not seen. Uh, but I, I, I definitely think Best Documentary with uh, the IDAs, the Critics' Choice Awards, uh, now with this, I feel like Best Documentary is really starting to come into focus a little bit more. Do you guys agree? Yeah,
1: yeah and a lot of these titles are ones I'm seeing appear over and over again in predictions, especially for uh, especially American Factory and Apollo 11. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think Apollo 11 is going to be pretty big.
2: And also, too, I mean, just in regards to uh, the conflict in Syria, it seems very much so that people are leaning more towards Forsama than the cave.
3: Mm. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the cave yet, unfortunately, but I I think one thing that Forsama has going for it is that it really gives you this um, right, right there perspective from this woman who's actually filming the conflict herself and it's affecting her family and her child. And it's... Really, really captivating. Like, it's a tough watch, but I also highly recommend people check that out. Uh,
2: the John Cassavetti's Award for Best Feature made for less than $500,000. Burning Cane, Colwell, Give Me Liberty, Premature, Wild Nights with Emily. Has anyone uh, seen any of these?
4: I haven't no. seen any of them, but I know about Burning Cane and Give Me
2: Liberty.
3: I know about Wild Nights with Emily and Colwell and those other two as well. Premature is the only one I'm not familiar with.
2: I, I, I've seen Burning Cane admittedly I wasn't a fan uh, give me Liberty. I have Lane around here somewhere. Now I'm definitely going to pop it in because it showed up in a lot of places uh, with a couple of nominations. So I was like, all right, I guess I need to uh, finally catch up with this one now. Yeah, so given Bernie that Kane, unless
1: I'm wrong, it looks like that's the only one in this category to get nominated in other categories that probably still want to watch. Okay. Oh, and Bernie Kane. OK, yeah. And, and Caldwell. All... Sorry for you. Never mind. <laughs> well, I think it's, Emily.
3: I think it's the, the Emily Dickinson one with Molly Shannon, if I'm remembering correctly.
1: I'm pretty sure. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, For best editing, we
2: have The Third Wife, Uncut Gems, Sword of Trust, The Lighthouse, and Give Me Liberty. Shout out to Sword of Trust showing up there and editing. That was freaking awesome. (laughs) Uh, Josh, I remember you, I think, said to me that you thought the editing in The Lighthouse was phenomenal. Um, I think it was you.
4: Probably was. If it was something good about The Lighthouse, I probably said it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I was—I I definitely thought of you or whoever it was, somebody who said to me that editing the lighthouse deserved recognition uh, when it showed up here. I was like, yes. Uh, but this looks like it—it's going to probably just go to Uncut Gems, I think, all the way. If I had to take a wild guess, um, you never know. Sometimes people watch the all the nominated films and they make a deliberation elsewhere. But I—I think Uncut Gems probably has this one in the bag.
1: Well, Did they went think- for. Good time. That feels like a pretty obvious win, unless there was something else in the category. My memory tells me no. I'm just checking real fast. um Lost to Itania. Never mind, but they were nominated. Yeah.
4: Yeah, it, it always kind of depends on what the season's going to be like right up until the Oscars, because I feel like, you know, because this is open up to basically the public, it's a lot of like general consensus. So I would say that it's between the Lighthouse and Uncut Gems. And Depending on where those movies fall into the Oscar race, as we get closer to February, that's probably going to be your answer.
2: Can I just say for the record that I'm really, really happy this year that the movies that were nominated for the Independent Spirit Awards are exactly that, exactly that, the independent movies that are not the big Mm -hmm. Oscar contenders this year. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like I said, Marriage Story is the only real crossover. There's going to be some where, like, you know. A thing here, a thing there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I get what you mean. Absolutely.
3: As far as like film raw films and like things like, like editing or some of these other like tech players, you know?
2: Yeah. Cinematography, Hustlers, The Lighthouse, Honey Boy, The Third Wife, and Midsommar.
1: Only not really Really weird that... A Hidden Life didn't get in here, given that it got in Best Feature.
2: I, uh, all right, so I'm going to skip ahead to that really quickly and just say for the record that A Hidden Life getting into Best Feature annoys the crap out of me precisely because it did not get a nomination anywhere else. If it did get one single other nomination elsewhere, I would be less conflicted about this because I actually like the movie, but it, it feels like it's taking up space in that best feature yes. category, unnecessarily so.
3: Especially when the director and picture lineups only match up by one, that it's kind of just like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I wrote about that in my thing of like, what? But yeah,
2: don't know why. For cinematography, I I, I can tell you all right now, I-, I would have the hardest time. I might just, I, I might flip a coin between Midsummer and uh, Lighthouse because the-, the black and white photography of Lighthouse is just incredible, but- Midsommar's uh, cinematography is unlike anything I think I've ever seen before in any movie. So, I don't know.
4: <laughs> uh, I was just going to say that I really wish that um, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, <gasps> yeah, right? Kind of gutted about that. But the nomination for Honey Boy is also really inspired. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, that yeah. movie actually has some really interesting cinematography in it too. And I'm actually kind of glad that was recognized as well. I agree. Absolutely.
0: I'm shocked that this is Midsommar's only nomination in here.
2: Me too. Especially considering it performed well at the uh, the Gotham Awards as well with a nomination for Florence Pugh. Yeah,
0: yeah. she should have been nominated. I can't believe
2: that. Uh, best first screenplay. We have See You Yesterday, Driveways, Blow the Man Down, Greener Grass, and The Vast of Night. Um, the only one I've seen is Greener Grass. Uh, has anyone else uh, seen anything here? Or I
3: haven't seen any of these, but... Blow the Man Down played at Philly Film Festival, and my friends on the programming team really enjoyed that one. And I heard good things. I think like Margaret Martindale is in it, among like people that we would know. So I've heard that one's like a nice watch.
2: Best first feature, uh, we have Booksmart, The Climb, which by the way I saw that at Telluride, and that's getting a twenty twenty release. And that movie is a, a dark comedy that I just. I, I, I just found it to be so delightful. Uh, Diane, Last Black Man in San Francisco, The Mustang, and See You Yesterday. Six nominees here. Pretty stacked. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I've seen all of these except for See You Yesterday. And I, I still want to just save the record. I highly recommend Diane, if you guys get a chance, just for Mary Kay Place. Um, if you if you have that opportunity. it's She's really, really phenomenal in the film. I would say it is between Last Black Man and Booksmart, most likely.
3: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I
1: think if Booksmart had gotten in either of them in Best Actress or Billy Lord Supporting Actress, um, probably would have a better chance here. But uh, otherwise, I'm leaning towards Last Black Man, San Francisco.
2: Mm. Uh, for Best Screenplay, uh, we have Marriage Story to Dust, Uncut Gems, Clemency and High Flying Bird. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. And noah's walking away with this easily right
1: yeah yes. where the hell is the farewell like there's no competition here in terms of like movies that people would have likely seen that yeah. they otherwise liked it just like is crazy to me that specifically the farewell couldn't get in here
2: i was very very surprised with how the farewell uh underperformed here in general yeah. across the board only receiving if i remember correctly only two nominations yeah um and while they were two big ones yes it's like this was the place where i felt like a movie like the farewell really 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 needed a big boost to stay in the best picture conversation and you know like i said even though one of the nominations for it is for best feature where is aquafina where is the screenplay where where's lulu wang you know what i mean like what what's going on here yeah. Best uh, supporting actor, uh, Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse, Noah Jupe, Honey Boy, Shia LaBeouf, Honey Boy, Jonathan Majors, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and Wendell Pierce in Burning yeah. Kane*. Noah Jupe is a lead, yeah. people. Yes, he They're is.
3: campaigning him lead. He is the lead. I do not understand why he's in here.
2: Makes no sense I'm happy to me.
3: i he got nominated in general, but it's like, why?
2: You could have had Sterling K. Brown in
1: Waves. Um, even before you said that, I was going to say... Um, I had Will Defoe is a lead too, and it's just, I'm just saying this now because it's gonna bug me all season when he keeps appearing and supporting. There's two people in the movie. Like I'm really
2: they, sorry, they have, Cody. I'm gonna disagree with you on this disagree?
1: one. disagree? How? How is that?
2: Because the movie is because the movie is the movie's not told from Dafoe's perspective. It's all told from Pattinson's perspective. And he is a supporting uh person in Pattinson's story. I
1: don't know. I mean, like I because I also consider Don The Major's a lead in Last Black Man in San Francisco. I'm less about um perspective and more about um, how much we're seeing of them usually usually I kind of also default to like whose perspective is it when I'm having trouble but these ones I'm I don't have trouble with I, I really think they're both lead but Willem Dafoe is my favorite lead actor performance of the year but if he has to keep appearing and supporting to get nominated I can't really begrudge it
2: I'm going to quote the Joker from the Dark Knight and just say I think you and I are destined to do this forever <laughs> <laughs> Best Supporting Actress, Jennifer Lopez, Hustlers, Taylor Russell, Waves, Zhao Shuzhen, The Farewell, Lauren Lolo Spencer in Give Me Liberty, and Octavia Spencer in Loose. This is probably my favorite category, if I I had to be completely honest.
0: It's really strong.
2: Oh, I was so in love with this uh, for multiple reasons. One, Octavia Spencer deserves to be in the conversation so much more for Loose, considering I think it's her best performance of this decade and better than any of her Oscar-nominated performances. So, Justice, I was screaming when I saw this. Mm -hmm. Um, Zhao Shuzhen, Shot in the Arm, really, really needed this. So, that was excellent. Taylor Russell for Waves, it's the only nomination for the film, sadly. But I I, I also struggle, like, saying she's supporting.
3: I know. But I guess it makes sense because she's so not... A factor in the beginning
2: but neither is kelvin harrison jr in the second half of that film but he's uh being campaigned as lead
3: yeah i don't know i'm just happy that she got some sort of recognition. same here concept. yeah
2: and jennifer lopez obviously uh you know needed this as well uh she's gonna have to really really continue this momentum uh through the critics awards and you know obviously show up at golden globe critics choice sag uh that's a very vulnerable performance that is in danger of possibly not making it the, the,
0: she's going to make it for sure.
2: uh, Well, no, I, I do have her predicted to get in as well, but I think it's vulnerable.
1: I, I don't know. I think she has even over lore during the most conversation and buzz going around her. I think if she, at this point, unless she starts to quickly fall off the precursors, if she doesn't make it, it'll be a real, it'll be seen as a huge surprise to be honest.
0: Yeah.
2: And just to be clear too, like, so that people know where I'm coming from with this. Um, I'm starting to believe that Hustlers is a movie that's being looked at as like the quote unquote, you know, stripper movie by maybe some highbrow members of the Academy. And obviously we know it's not that, but I think it's coming from the same place as something like the horror genre does with like Tony Collette, Lupita Nyong'o, and even to an extent, something like Willem Dafoe in the Lighthouse, where they just view it as a lower tier class of movie, if you will. And as a result, like these performances don't get in. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I hope you're wrong. I, I, I do, too. <laughs> Believe me, I really do hope I'm wrong. It's like more of a Scorsese movie than The Irishman is. So, like, it really, if the if the Academy can put that aside, they should be able to appreciate stuff. I rewatched
2: it. it last yeah. night, and you are 100% right about that comparison, Cody, in the sense of, like, the way that film is just shot, edited, the voiceover narration and everything. It just, yeah, 100% agreed. It's, oh, it's so phenomenal. I love Hustlers. Number one of the year for me. Is it really? Yep.
0: Still. It's a fantastic movie.
2: All right. Best actor. Uh, Chris Gallus for Give Me Liberty, Kelvin Harrison Jr. for Loose, Robert Pattinson, The Lighthouse, Adam Sandler, Uncut Gems, and Matthias Schoenhartz for The Mustang.
3: Another great category. And the
4: better Kelvin Harrison Jr. performance.
2: Yeah. Very, very happy uh, to see him show up here for this. Absolutely. Yeah. Pattinson as well. Um, you know, he's definitely going to play a second fiddle to Defoe probably all season long. So it's nice to see him get some recognition here. Um I am starting to wonder, because I know for a fact, well, actually, let me rephrase that. I don't know anything for a fact, but it feels very likely that Adam Sandler is going to get a Golden Globe nomination also for Uncut Gems. It's making me wonder, does he stand a chance to also show up uh, with a lot of critics groups at Critics' Choice? You know, it's like, how real is the Adam Sandler Best Actor conversation?
1: Because he's going comedy for the Globes, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, something to just you know, keep an eye on as we go through the rest of the season here. Uh, Best Female, uh, Best, I'm sorry, Best Actress. Uh, Best Actress, Karen Allen, Colwell, Hong Chow for Driveways, Elizabeth Moss, Her Smell, Mary Kay Place, Diane, Alfrey Woodard, Clemency, and Renee Zellweger for Judy.
3: I'm kind of surprised this is the only place that both Her Smell, more so for Her Smell, but also Judy, that's the only place they showed up in. I feel like I'm surprised that Her Smell didn't get at least something somewhere else, but, you know, I'm glad both of them got in here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to
1: need awards wet. bodies to keep watching her smell because I needed to keep showing up. If you watch the movie, her performance is pretty damn undeniable. So oh, I really absolutely. hope that keeps happening.
2: Cody, I, I, I did something a little uh, crazy this week. You put her in? I am predicting Elizabeth Moss to be the Sarah
1: Silverman and I smiled back uh, for SAG. That would not surprise me at all. I mean, it was like an early release, I think. I think they're kind of pushing the screeners. I might be wrong about that. It
2: was the first screener to go out for the season, there you actually. Go, perfect. And yeah, I at totally a time where that. screeners are slowly, they're coming in more, more now. But at the time, they were slowly rolling out. I have a huge feeling a lot of people might have checked out that performance early. So you never know.
4: Yeah, that performance is so good. And, you know, to see people, he praises on like Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker. It's like, come on. Her smell, Elizabeth Moss, like, if you're into that kind of acting, I think you're really going to love what she's doing in that film, too, and it's
2: so, so good. Yeah, it's not a knock against Joaquin. I think it's just a matter of, like, one is seen and one is underseen, and we got to just get, you know, we got to get it on people's radar.
1: She also doesn't have a SAG award besides Ensemble wins for Mad Men. She didn't win for Handmaid's Tale, so they feel like, you know, rewarding her in that that way, they could definitely at least well, nominate
2: her. let's calm down. We know that's not going to happen. <laughs> I
1: just mean she's nominating. You know, it means like they, they're aware of her existing and like they can, you know, hopefully throw some more love her way. Yeah. She's not going to win. Sorry, Elizabeth, as much as she would deserve it. But. That's
2: what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not going to win. Exactly. All right. Best Director, Robert Eggers, The Lighthouse. Alma Harrell for Honey Boy. Julius Ona for Loose. Josh and Benny Safdie for, for Uncut Gems. And Lorene Scafaria for Hustlers. Uh, This was probably my second favorite category. Um, (laughs) I have no complaints with any of the nominees here whatsoever. I was over the moon, overjoyed with the diversity in this lineup as well. I think it's a great collection of films. I, yeah, I I, I wouldn't even know who to vote for if I'm being completely honest with you.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I'm happy to see Lorraine Scafaria get in there because the direction – praise for Hustlers has been good, but not really the focus of any sort of um, obviously awards campaign or even just like critical notices. So I'm happy to see her duly get recognized here.
2: Yeah, and I'm hoping that Hustlers can use this momentum to really climb into uh, other people's predictions for other categories outside of Jennifer Lopez, because uh, from what I understand, STX is focusing all of their might behind Lopez and less so on other aspects of the film, which... I understand and I get it. Uh, she's never been nominated before, um, but I do think there are other other aspects of Hustlers that are worthy of recognition, um, that deserve to be there. So,
1: adapted screenplay, please.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's one. Yeah, for sure. And then Best Feature: uh, A Hidden Life, as we said earlier. Clemency, The Farewell, Marriage Story, and Uncut Gems.
4: This was something that Clemency, I think, really, really needed. Like it, yeah. it managed to show up in. Some very important places here. And I think that for especially a movie like that, which needs to be just discovered and seen, this was very important for them.
2: Yeah, it feels like that movie's on life support right now. And obviously, it is going to open in late December. But my issue with something like that is you've got that, you've got Just Mercy, you'll have 1917, you'll have Star Wars, you'll have Cats. I just, Clemency just feels like it's destined to be something that gets lost in the shuffle. Uh, so you're right, Josh, it really, really, really badly needed
4: this. Clemency, I've also said, I just really feel like they are putting their resources into Alfie Woodard, and that's mm-hmm. correct for that movie. I think yeah. that's the best shot that yeah. it has. And I think it is realistically possible for her to get nominated. But for that movie to show up in more than just one spot at the Spirit Awards also helps people remember that film and 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 take note of it.
1: Yeah, it really did have its best possible day, I imagine. I mean, three nominations is pretty damn great.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to have seen Aldous Hodge show up maybe in supporting, but, uh, you know, no, this is pretty good. Yeah, I was
3: surprised he didn't get in.
2: Yeah, he got in at Gotham, so.
3: Yeah, Uncut Gems had a great day. That, like
2: Uncut Gems got in everywhere, which is pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, but then again, I think they just love Josh and Benny Safdie.
3: Yeah, Good Time did very well here.
2: Yeah. Okay, so uh, those are the Spirit Award nominations. Uh, I I really kind of, like, I don't know. It just seems so obvious that Marriage Story is going to win feature and screenplay. It, it kind of, like, takes the excitement out of it a little bit for me. But then we get something like Director, and I look at that, and I'm like, I have no idea, you know, what's going to happen there. But then I also then look at, like, Best Actress, and I say to myself, oh, it's going to go to Renee probably. You know, unless if there is a surprise. And it just because these are voted on by um, you know, anyone that's a member, I, I do feel that there there is a tendency for these to be a little bit too populous and predictable sometimes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they can kind I, of just default to the front runner sometimes.
4: Yeah. I, I have noticed that especially like when you get closer to the actual Oscar ceremony, whoever is in the position to be kind of the front runners in those categories tend to be the ones that win at the spirits.
2: Yeah, but they're always a really, really fun group of nominees. This year was no different. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, out of like pretty much, I love that these guys are early. I love that they're usually first out of the gate uh, for the most part, along with Gotham, because then it's like, all right, we've had our fun. (laughs) Now let's get boring and default (laughs) to the Oscar predictables at that point. Uh, But, you know, let's just enjoy this moment while we can. Alrighty, so moving on from Film Independent Spirit Awards. Now we're going to uh, discuss the first trailer uh, for this week. Uh, this is Antebellum. This is starring uh, Janelle Monet. It's a teaser, actually, uh, but I wanted to uh, take a moment to uh, discuss this one. This is coming out April 24th, 2020, from Lionsgate. Um, it's also co-starring Eric Lang, Jenna Malone, Jack Houston, Kiersey Lemons, and Gabrielle Sibide. Let's take a look.
0: 911. What is your emergency?
2: What is this about? It's a good I,
3: was I was watching the trailer time and my boyfriend <laughs> was like, "Is it gonna be like the village? Like
2: is it time a travel? A
3: plantation somewhere? Like, I don't, think- I don't know. It might be time travel or something. I don't know. Is it
2: Cloud Atlas? <laughs> I, I don't think this teaser did a good. J- I, the teaser did a good job on selling me on mood and visuals." Yeah. But I don't know what the yeah, story is. it definitely
0: is. sets up a mystery.
2: I don't know. But it looks really strange. I don't know. Um, One thing I will say that I am very happy about is I'm happy that Janelle Monet is getting a leading role instead of a supporting role, at least.
0: Yes. Definitely.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Let me see here. I've got a plot synopsis here. Let's take a look. Successful offer Veronica finds herself trapped in a horrifying reality and must uncover the mind-bending mystery before it's too late.
1: Oh, well that clears it up. Yeah, thank you.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> now we know.
1: I was getting like wormhole vibes. Yeah. yeah. You know, alternate reality. That could be.
2: Maybe there will be a uh I mean there there's, there's got to be a second trailer that goes a little bit deeper, I'm sure. Yeah. It, there has to be. Otherwise, um I got nothing else really to add other than happy that Janelle, Janelle Monet is uh, getting a leading role. Um, interesting tone and visuals uh, for this uh, got me curious and yeah you know the fact that um, the plot is kind of kept under wraps to a certain extent um, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued you know they they threw the whole producers of Get Out and Us up there and I was like alright alright I see you I, I see what vibe we're going
1: for here you know yeah, yeah I like the I, idea I, of these socially conscious horror films um, yeah. if they can be done with um, subtlety effects, obviously yeah yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah, I I, I do wonder about this premise, though, because it's very easy to make this into a train wreck of a movie. And I know they're flashing the producers of like Get Out and Us, but I don't believe one of them is Jordan Peele. So Mm.
1: we'll we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know anything about the creative team, the directors and writers. So I think that would be more enlightening to know.
2: Yeah. I want to move over to AFI really quickly uh, and just comment because uh, Queen and Slim had its uh, premiere there. Uh, Josh, you talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, Reactions overall seem, I would say, um, not unanimous praise, but like in that mixed positive range, I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are some people that definitely have some issues with the movie overall, but I still maintain I think that film's going to have a huge audience, um, and I think it's going to have legs over the next couple of weeks. If I had to take a guess. What do you think about that, Josh?
4: You know, Matt, I would actually, I think that movie is going to open pretty well. I do actually wonder about its legs because, uh, you know, I don't want to get into the ending, but I think the ending might divide some people. Uh, And and I wonder about that.
2: See, when when we do our podcast review, I'll get into other things because the ending actually, um, I I really like the ending actually, but um, there were other things that happened before the ending that muddled the... that muddied the waters for me a little bit. Yeah. And I was a little little unclear about the movie's intentions and things of that nature.
4: Yeah, we'll get into that.
2: Yeah. Uh, other news coming out of there. Uh, the Banker. Huh. Apple TV's uh, big acquisition of the uh, season Yikes. was supposed to make its world premiere at AFI. We were supposed to get some reactions on it. I am now uh, regretting not going to an early screening for it. Um, <laughs> I don't remember what I did instead that night. But now I feel like this movie is going to be like the interview or um, oh that Louis C.K. film. And it's going to just be oh, like Jesus. this. I love you, daddy. Yeah. It, but oh, it's going to be like Christ. this Internet pirated thing, possibly, because I, I don't know if there's screeners of it floating out there somewhere. I, I have no idea. But
3: critics being like, being like, I'm holding tight on that screen.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Because Apple TV, uh, uh, well, Apple TV Plus have said that uh, they have no uh, idea. It's pretty much uh, like on hold indefinitely as to when it will uh, be released. Because of uh, apparently there were some allegations uh, uh, at the, w- one of the film's producers, and Apple being like Disney to a certain degree in terms of the image they want to paint for themselves, and just trying to keep this, uh, you know trying to keep this under, not under wraps but like just getting getting ahead of the situation if you will they felt it was best uh to cancel the premiere and hold off on releasing the film until they get down to the bottom of what's going on essentially with it so i don't blame them yeah.
4: although with a company that has as much money and resources as apple does how do you not find this out until like right before people are about to see the movie it that seems very
2: strange to me yeah yeah uh, and then also too at AFI, we had the world premiere of Richard Jewell, Clint Eastwood's latest film, crashing the Oscar race in December as he normally tries to do. Is he going to succeed this year? Uh, based on the initial reactions that we have seen, um, it looks like it looks like some of us were right. It looked like. Uh, Some of the uh, one of the supporting ladies, either Kathy Bates or Olivia Wilde, uh, looks like they are now in the best supporting actress conversation. And from what I can tell, it looks like it's leaning more towards Kathy Bates. Yeah. So I would definitely uh, add her into your predictions column. What was more surprising to me, though, uh, was how much Sam Rockwell uh, got notices from people. And I guess that shouldn't be surprising at this point. (laughs) I guess not. (laughs) I find it so funny, like. After years and years
4: of begging for one nomination for Sam Rockwell, he has now like turned into the perennial nominee. and it's it's crazy.
2: <laughs> I'm not ready to say he's going to get into that category because that category is just out of this world this year. i have i I have no idea what to do with that category. it, it I'm even going so far yeah. as saying Pitt could even miss lately. You know, that's how. That's how fluid that category is right now. It's insane.
3: Yeah.
2: So the other thing too to consider is also uh, Paul Walter Hauser um, in the Best Actor conversation because he got a lot of positive notices from a lot of people as well.
4: Yeah.
2: That seemed to be like the biggest takeaway overall was that the acting got a lot of notices. Um, I didn't really get the sense of like a uh, of like a Best Picture uh, type of player at all.
1: No. Yeah, I'm I'm still hesitant. I don't know. We we've seen this from Clint before and it doesn't always translate. I know this everybody's kind of making the American sniper comparison, but I'm I'm he makes so many movies that can't all be Oscar contenders. Well, I'm, well, I'm just going to I don't yeah, know. The
4: other thing to maybe also think about is are we also maybe comparing this to his last couple movies cuz you know, many things can seem like masterpieces if you compare it to 1517 to Paris and the Mule
1: true <laughs> i agree right i mean i know for my like my myself i had clint eastwood in best actor for a long time last year until the movie was released so same, yeah Who knows?
2: yeah i'm starting to think that this is uh Kathy bates maybe like a tech nomination for sound editing or something um i'm seeing it tomorrow so i will Ooh. get back to you guys next week on my thoughts on it um i'll probably write a review up on it as well and uh, give you guys some more thoughts on what I think. But, you know, initial reactions definitely seem to point more towards uh, acting uh, potential uh, for Rockwell and Bates with Paul Walter Hauser as like a dark horse and best actor conversation. So we'll see. We'll see uh, where it goes from here. Um, It definitely is getting a push from Warner Brothers a little late in the game, admittedly. But you know it's clint eastwood you never know (laughs) so
4: yeah Yeah. they're obligated to do something for the movie because it's clint
2: (laughs) hey everyone i'm aaron and i'm patrick and together we host the feelin film podcast a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit yes sir talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelingfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. All righty. So now, uh, for this week, we're going to talk about the polls now. Yay! Love the polls. Mm. Uh, The reason why I'm very excited to talk about the polls this week, actually, is because we received... For one of our polls, uh, for the end of the decade, we asked everyone which is their favorite animated film of the decade. Get ready for this, guys. Our biggest, biggest sample yet. Wow. Wow. Mm. We had over 5,000 responses for this. Wow. wow. I am going to pull up the results for the first time right now. Let's see how this all tallies out. Okay. All right, we have a 10, no ties. Wow. Oh, man. Okay, at number 10. Whew, man. Pretty intense. Because uh, <laughs> uh, you know, No, I'm serious, because t- for 9, 10, and 11, right? So from uh, slot number 9 down to 11, a difference of four votes. Wow. Four votes.
0: Really close. So
2: it was a bloodbath just to crack the top, t- top 10 here. Damn. And number 10 is Big Hero 6, which I have not seen since its release, and I do not know how that movie holds up at all.
4: Yeah, I haven't seen it since its release either, and I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but it's enjoyable for what it is. I'll admit that.
2: Number nine is Kubo and the Two Strings. Wow. Nice.
4: I'm actually glad that cracked the top 10.
2: Yeah, I think that's the best like a film uh, they've released yet, in my opinion. I still go for Coraline. That's fair. Me too. Number eight, the first, How to Train Your Dragon. Shout out to Dan. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was going to say Dan. Will be I happy. could
2: hear him in the distance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number seven is Disney's Moana. Yay,
1: Yay. that's my pick.
4: Oh, I, I love, love that movie. It's
2: a good one. Number six is Lego Movie.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to argue with that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's really
0: good.
2: Number five is Zootopia.
4: That placed a lot higher than I thought it would. People
1: loved that movie. I I'm of one it of good,
2: them. But um, I literally had it as my number two favorite film that year.
1: Uh, oh, I I of the two Disney movies that year I was a Moana boy. That's fine. Yeah.
2: I love the social significance of Zootopia. I thought it was so clever and so smart. Uh, number four, Toy Story 3. Wow. That's kind of low for that.
1: I'm surprised. Yeah.
2: Well, heads up. Uh-oh. Here comes another Pixar film. Number three is Inside Out.
1: Yay,
3: my my, my pick.
2: Number two, another Pixar film, Coco. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That was and my runner-up after. Wow. Wow. And number one is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is it possibly going to be? And I
1: know. I, mean, I was like, yeah. what's number one then? Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah.
2: You know, just for the sake of fun, because there were so many, uh, you know, there were so many. I'll I'll name some runner-ups here that didn't crack the top 10. Uh, Your name, number 11. Uh, Number 12 was Frozen. 13, Wreck-It Ralph. 14, Isle of Dogs. And 15 was Tangled.
1: I completely forgot about Frozen. I'm (laughs) like (laughs) listening to the top 10. I was like, something, this feels right. Nothing's missing here.
2: (laughs) I'm very, very, very happy that uh, your name... Came super close uh like i said a difference of two votes between that and big hero six cracking the top 10
4: very impressive for that movie i'm, I'm happy about that too
2: yeah i would have been more happy if it would have just gotten three votes <laughs> so it kind <could've> of <laughs> cracked in there but i i am very very impressed as well that uh it got even that amount uh to get that high honestly because th- there's for just that
4: movie yeah yeah that, that is actually very impressive for that movie to come that close to making the 10
2: absolutely Uh, We had some write-ins for movies that were not from this decade, so I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) But honestly, from a write-in standpoint, there wasn't anything that like cumulatively uh, stood out. It was pretty all over the place. Although, uh, one film that did get uh, a couple of mentions was Song of the Sea. So I would say that that one maybe was probably the one that stood out the most in the write-in section. Uh, For last week's weekly poll, uh, we asked everyone in anticipation for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Which is their favorite Tom Hanks performance? What a what a tall order to ask, right? Tough from such an acclaimed actor. Uh, we got over a thousand uh replies on this one. And we have a top ten. Um, just double checking to make sure that there are no ties here. Okay. At number 10 is his co-lead uh role, along with Leonardo DiCaprio in Catch Me If You Can. Nice. I really like that performance. Number nine. Break out the tissues. It's the Green Mile.
1: It just feels so much like not his movie. Yeah. <laughs> in a weird way. I mean, everything else about that movie is kind of what people talk about. But yeah. Yeah. I and mean, he is the lead.
2: Interesting. Number eight is his breakout uh, role. His first Oscar nomination as well for Big. That's a great oh, that's performance.
4: Actually, that's actually one I expected to be higher, to be yeah. honest.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, wait until you hear what's higher. <laughs> oh, <laughs> number seven is a league of their own.
4: Nice. Oh, I'm so happy. I love that performance so much.
3: There's no
2: crying in baseball.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> number six, his first Oscar win for Philadelphia.
3: Nice.
4: Hard to argue. Mm-hmm.
2: Number five, his Oscar nominated role in oh. Wait, don't do it. Captain Phillips. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Such a
0: great performance st-
2: still. Still, honestly, maybe, maybe, maybe for me, the biggest snub, acting snub of the decade. Maybe
0: I cannot believe he did not get nominated. It's just yeah, I, I can't think of a bigger yeah. one. Yeah, I think that might be
1: that might be it. Yeah, it's even it's between that and Amy Adams and Arrival. Um, both in terms of like actual performance quality and precursors, it really just doesn't make sense. And other awards that movie was nominated for. And and
2: I promise I'll name just one more here because I feel like I have to. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal Nightcrawler. But okay, Uh, number four, number four is Saving Private Ryan. All right.
4: Number
2: three. Is his one man show in Castaway.
3: Nice.
2: Number two. I didn't say one, two, three, or four. I just said Toy Story, and it got number two. Oh, wow.
3: I wonder
1: what number one is.
2: Well, Cody, my mama always said Forrest Gump Mm, was uh, always going to win this poll.
1: Yeah, 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 So I find that movie kind of like slightly detestable, but I cannot deny that his performance is like... El- beyond elevating the material i think he really is incredible in that movie it's those quiet moments
2: uh that he has you know with uh especially with jenny where he's like confused or scared or nervous
1: yes, exactly yeah um, it's the but- moments where he brings way more depth than the very you know um by the numbers, character the screenplay gives him. Oh yeah, yeah the
3: scene where he meets his son, I, I can't. Talk. exactly.
1: <laughs> every time yeah. he
2: asks Jenny, "Is is he like?" Oh, and, and then she's like, "No," and then he like breaks down. I just like, dude,
3: <laughs> like, yeah, rip my heart no, it's out. Like, it's like, it's working for read. me. It's working. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then of course uh, the <laughs> every time his voice cracks, oh, "Mr. Jenny," I'm like, fuck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this movie. It's like hard to argue with a back-to-back Oscar like that because it's just really undeniable work.
2: Yeah. Uh, so for this week, uh, we're focusing uh, once again on another actor uh, who has given uh, a wide range of performances, a little less so uh, just because the career has been a little bit shorter. Uh, but still, there's some range here that I think that um, makes this actor extremely underappreciated, I feel like. Uh, this is Dangle Craig. We're asking everyone what is their favorite Daniel Craig performance uh, to get them ready for the release of Knives Out, which is also a choice listed here. So um, looking at some of the choices here, obviously James Bond is listed. Uh, I decided to put Casino Royale and Skyfall um, separately. But I didn't list his other uh, two films. I figured, you know, let's just keep it at these that's,
4: two. That's a, that's appropriate. That's yeah.
2: That. <laughs> uh, but you know, then he has something like Logan Lucky, and um, I don't think a lot of people are aware of some of the uh, some of his earlier work before he got cast as James Bond. But he was quite a character actor. And he still is to this day, and I think he displays that with things like Logan Lucky and Knives Out, where he looks like he's just having so much fun on screen.
1: Yeah, Knives Out especially really is like, oh, there you are, Daniel. He's extremely awake in it, and he's just clearly, you're right, having fun, that ridiculous accent. It's a good time.
3: Yeah, that honestly might be my pick, although I also love Casino Royale so much. Yeah,
4: I know that everybody probably expects me to pick a James Bond movie because I'm such (laughs) a fan. Uh, And I'm not going to disappoint. I am going to pick a James Bond movie and (laughs) I'm going to say Casino Royale. I think that uh, that movie is really sort of special in that franchise to me. And I think that his performance really takes the character of James Bond into a more emotional direction than had been seen before. And it's a Mm -hmm. total reinvention of how to perceive that character. And most of that is because of what Daniel Craig is doing. And I think it's a phenomenal performance.
2: I gotta say, I think that his performance as Benoit Blanc and Knives Out is the kind of performance that like um like Johnny Depp and Pirates of the Caribbean, it just feels so um original and so exciting that I, I genuinely and I listen, in a world where I'm always clamoring for less sequels, this is like one where I would I would like to see more Benoit Blanc adventures like from mm-hmm. this character. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, I hope he gets in at Globes.
2: Oh, I think he's going to get in, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so head on over to the polls page, nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote there for your favorite Daniel Craig uh, performance. Um, Rebecca, did you you mention your your choice?
0: Oh, I think mine would be Logan Lucky. I, like, didn't really expect anything from that movie and just watched it one night on Amazon, and I just thought he was hilarious in it and just so entertaining. (laughs) What are you doing? I'm getting naked. (laughs)
2: It's just so funny in that. Oh man. Alrighty, uh last trailer before we get to uh fan questions. This is the trailer for Emma, uh, which, you know, we've seen this uh, you know, happen before here. Novel uh by Jane Austen. Only there's a little bit of a twist with this one uh this time around. It's got some uh Well, it's got some vibes, uh, you know, that are very similar to a recent film that uh, came out. Uh, This one starring Anya Taylor-Joy, Johnny Flynn, Bill Nighy, Mia Goff. Uh, Let's take a look at the trailer for this one, and let's give our thoughts. Dearly beloved friends, we gather here...
0: In this time of man's great
4: innocence. Innocence? Innocence? No? BOOM!
3: Mm-hmm. Like Probably no, no this relationship. Miss Woodhouse, Miss Woodhouse,
2: such news. So, who here would say this is their favorite trailer of the year so far?
3: <laughs> this feels like the copy my homework meme. <laughs> <laughs> Like, especially I saw this trailer in the theater the other day before Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And just the way it plays, I was just like, oh, yeah.
2: (laughs) Is it the same music, too? Or am I going crazy?
3: It's very similar. And the way that it's cut with, like, the very large, bold fonts and things, it's just which I don't mind. I like that we're, I guess, trying to market Peary pieces a little more uniquely, but it also, like, very soon after. (laughs) So it's like a lot.
2: You know, a lot of people made a lot of comparisons between the marketing for uh, 1917 and Dunkirk and how, like, 1917 was trying to profit off of uh, people's love for Dunkirk. And listen, I'm, you know, these people got a job to do. I get it, (laughs) you know? And if it sells, it sells. And I don't blame them for taking this approach uh, with the marketing for this movie in that regard. Um, I just wish it was a little less apparent, so because this was like so apparent to the point that i i'm still gonna see it obviously i'm still gonna see it but i i, I want to see it for not not because it's like a spiritual sequel or it is a sequel or it's more of the same i want to see it because it is going to offer me maybe something a little bit different but in that same vein and i'm not quite getting that from this
4: yeah i i can i can see that but i think just for me that cast is really really appealing and i would I would see that collection of actors in anything. So if it's got to be yet another Emma adaptation, fine, I'll take it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy makes me excited in truly everything she's I've seen her in, which is, I can't say that about a lot of actors, period. So she has me a little bit going in the door.
4: Yeah,
0: yeah, I do find the cast to be pretty impressive.
2: Absolutely,
4: And Josh O'Connor. Uh, that's another one that
2: like, I, I was going to ask really you, Josh. You're like, wh- which one of the men has your heart for this one? Because <laughs> I was going oh. through the list and I'm like, oh, there's a lot of guys in this one. <laughs> you know?
4: Oh yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to pick, but uh, Josh O'Connor to me, he he was in a movie a couple of years ago called God's Own Country, which I yes. really, really very love much in that movie. Yes, he was. Yeah, he, he was that too. Uh, he's also now on the crown. Uh, so he's. It sounds like, like now he's becoming a little bit more of a household name. So I'm very excited to have more people discover him because he's a really phenomenal actor, I think.
2: And honestly, like Bill Nike is just. When he wants to be hysterical, he could be so hysterically funny. Oh, yeah. So I'm all here for that. Yeah, no, I'm here for the cast. Absolutely. I totally am. Yeah. And I'm sure the movie will be fine. I'm sure it'll be funny. Um, it definitely looks like it's going to have, like, kind of that naughty. Uh, attitude, vibe to it that, you know, The Favorite also had. Um, and listen, Favorite was my favorite movie of last year, number one. So I'm not complaining. I am complaining, but I'm not complaining. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, like somewhere in between. I mean, other than that, you know, it comes out in March. Uh, it is a Focus Features film. I am wondering if this uh, could possibly make a debut at Sundance. Maybe. That was something that also came to my mind.
1: Yeah, it didn't, like it um, didn't that movie Love and Friendship also have a similarly early release? Yes, it did. Yeah, it's kind of one of the vibes I'm getting from this.
2: Yes, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Which uh, I, I like Love and Friendship.
1: I like those concepts in life too, Matt.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay, yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, you you go
3: cry at Midnight
2: Special again, okay? okay. That's what you're good for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I I don't don't buy works. works. Alrighty, uh, so now moving away uh, from all of that, uh, now we're going to go over to fan questions for this week and uh, we're going to address what everyone sent in. All right, so uh, EW.2480, John, asks us, what the heck is going on with Best Animated Feature this year? Will they finally give it to the saga ending, How to Train Your Dragon, Toy Story 4, but it's the fourth and an early release, or Frozen 2, which is striking while it's hot? I'd say Toy Story 4, but I am far from certain. Uh, We discussed this on our Frozen 2 podcast review a little bit at the end there. I'm curious to hear from uh, some of our folks that weren't on that review. Guys, where do you see Best Animated Feature right now?
4: I still think that Toy Story 4 is in the lead for that category, but I'll be honest with you, I really don't care <laughs> that much. Yeah. I, I, feel, <laughs> I, I feel like it's really just between Frozen 2 and Toy Story 4, and those are two movies that, just for me personally, not really invested in either one of those, and I would love it if we could have a more unique and inventive winner in this category, but I feel like it's just going to default to the two most profitable, most well-known titles in there. And I think it's those two movies.
3: Yeah, I agree.
2: And if I'm being completely honest with you, I think the vote is going to split. And I think they're going to give it to How to Train Your Dragon.
3: Which would be lovely.
2: (laughs) Because think about it. It's a way to reward uh, that franchise with its uh, possibly last film after a decade of consistently stellar work. And with Frozen 2 having... Um, and, and Toy Story probably having a both equal amount of supporters and dissenters, I'm wondering if we could be in for a surprise.
4: That the Disney vote could split?
2: Yeah. Because yeah. neither one of them does feel like a clear-cut frontrunner, but I would argue Toy Story 4 more so because of the critical reception and how that is much higher than Frozen 2, even though it did get released earlier in the year.
4: True, but much also like with Frozen 2, Toy Story has the kind of Baggage that it has an entry that already won an Oscar before and an entry that... So does Frozen. Yeah, Frozen does too. But I think Toy Story also, their previous entry not only won an Oscar, but it was nominated for Best Picture and Screenplay. Like, it was a very, very well-respected movie, I think, on a level that even the first Frozen didn't really get to. And if you're comparing those two movies, that might hurt Toy Story 4 in the long
1: run.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was my argument at first, too. But also, we've seen them default to Pixar before in like when when Brave won, essentially. So, I don't know. I'm really kind of split on this.
4: Yeah, I think that this category, though, has changed a little bit since the the Brave win. And I also feel like when Spider-Man won last year, it almost was like something to signal that maybe this doesn't always have to go to Disney-Pixar, that if another option comes around that does have a little bit more passion behind it, it could actually now stand a chance. I, I don't know what that is at this moment, which is why I am defaulting, but, you know, if if the passion really isn't there for those two top contenders, maybe something
2: could sneak through. Ronaldo Sosa asks, who do you think are going to be the critics' darlings in each of the acting categories? So I want to just uh, make sure that I get this right here. When he says critics' darlings... I think he's referring to who's probably going to win the most uh, critics awards uh, from the regional, the majors, uh, throughout the season.
4: Well, best actor, I think, is going to be Adam
2: Driver.
1: Yes, I I agree with
2: that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think everybody's been saying this, but I think it'll be kind of similar to last year where there's one actor winning a lot of critic stuff and then maybe somebody different in the industry, which could possibly be Joaquin Phoenix, but we'll see.
3: I feel like actress. There's not really like a – like I – I can't really come up with one that I think will sweep critics awards. I like it doesn't feel like something that will happen with Renee necessarily or
2: I think there will be some, uh, you know, I think there'll be some back and forth there for sure. But in the end, I see Renee Zellweger getting the most wins. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that assessment.
1: I don't think she'll get the most wins, but we just mentioned her, but I could see Elizabeth Moss picking up a decent chunk of critics prizes, even if it doesn't lead to anything on any sort of stage.
2: See, I I see her getting like, you know, for example, if somebody traditionally speaking, when we end the season, if you guys look on the uh, website, you know, because I still have the tallies up from last year, um, usually like, you know, some people that like really do extremely well get like over 30 prizes, you know, when all is said and done. Moss strikes me as like someone who gets like seven, but one of them happens to be something crazy like New York Film Critics Circle or something like that. You know, I can totally see that. I think in supporting it's going to be Defoe. I think critics are going to go hard for that. I don't know if it's going to materialize, but you know.
3: Yeah, I can see Shia LaBeouf racking up a few with
2: critics. I don't know about that, but I but I'm I, I, in terms of leading the season.
3: No, I don't see him leading. But like, I guess in that Moss way of like seven, like.
2: Yeah, yeah, but but I see Defoe like, winning the majority of the Critics Group's awards. You know what I mean? I don't see Shia overtaking him. No. And then, of course, when we get to, like, the industry awards, like, Globe, SAG, and Critics' Choice, and things like that, it, it, it's probably going to be a totally different story at that point, I'm sure. Um, And then in supporting... See, this is where I'm wondering if we're in for, like, a surprise, maybe? Where critics back a contender that it's like, oh, uh, oh, oh. So I'm starting to wonder, you know, I know everybody's talking about Laura Dern and Margot Robbie this year. What if Jennifer Lopez really does win the most critics awards of the season?
4: I was just thinking that, man, when you were saying it, that it does actually seem like Jennifer Lopez is in the better position to be the critical consensus and supporting actress this year. Yeah.
0: She's been campaigning like crazy. I mean, I think it could be definitely happen.
4: And the thing with Jennifer Lopez is that that's one of those performances that the critics kind of need to create that foundation for to really take it seriously in the conversation. And that is like an incentive for all these critics groups to be like, OK, we can actually maybe influence something to keep her in the
1: conversation. Yeah. yeah and critics were the ones that kind of kicked off the Oscar campaign when the awards or when the reviews were first coming out. It's not like STX yeah. was like, you got to go see this movie. She's going to get Oscar love. It was really kind of the reviews saying now this could actually happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: this one comes from Pedro Cruz. What happened to Waves in the award season?
3: Ugh.
4: Yeah, I, I think that movie is just a little bit more divisive than we initially thought it was going to be, and now it's a crowded season, and it's just getting pushed out for other titles that have more more attention to them.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> This one <laughs> This one comes from James Scott. Is film Twitter truly ready for Cats after that second trailer?
3: <laughs> it's a thing that's going to unite us. That's what it
1: Yep. I mean in times of darkness, you know, that If this is the inciting incident that gets us to bring us all together, <laughs> sure, why yeah, not?
4: It's like, it's like I said, it's like the squid from Watchmen. It's the thing that's been created oh to God. help all of the <laughs> warring factions <laughs> lay down their arms, band <laughs> together one common enemy. Yes, uh, uh, that's uh, directed by um, Adrian Veidt.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You know, Tom Hooper in, like, the Adrian Veidt costume, he would look like Ozymandias. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Oh, that was phenomenal, Josh. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Scott Kernan, with the Golden Globes approaching, which films do you see having the biggest fear of being an awards contender, but when they missed a globe nomination such as First Man and Widows, their Oscar frontrunner status uh completely fades away.
1: Um I I for one have been um a doubter of Jojo Rabbit's success and the Golden Globes will probably be what pushes me strongly in one camp or the other. I think if it does well, which I'm like lightly predicting at the Globes because I mean having it being ca- comedy That's the best chance for it to rack up a ton of nominations, and if it doesn't work out there, then I really think my um, hesitancy is validated in a way, but I am predicting it to do well there, so I think that's just kind of a turning point personally for me it's fox
2: searchlight's number one priority fox searchlight yeah. is typically like a mainstay within the awards race i can't see a world where that doesn't have where that where i cannot see a world where it doesn't do well at globes i just yeah, can't
1: i i am also predicting it for like at least two awards there i just um, i think my bias is showing maybe a little bit here <laughs> i i think that ford v ferrari
2: is one
3: yeah
2: doesn't get any globe nominations and that is what pushes it then from being a potential player to just a tech player. I think that's the way that's going to go. How
1: about Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood?
2: I don't see that happening either. Yeah, I think if Tom Hanks misses there, it's really
1: yeah, kind of what we're all fearing.
2: Although I have this feeling that Tom Hanks is going to show up uh, at a couple of places, but I don't think he's going to get the Oscar nomination still. Uh, I'm trying to think what else makes sense in this scenario. Um, hmm. You know, I, I, I've said this before, just looking at previous years. Mad Max Fury Road got a Golden Globe nomination and it got a Best Picture nomination. The Dark Knight did not. Uh, and it missed a Best Picture nomination. Black Panther got in for Best Picture at the Golden Globes last year, got an Oscar nomination. I'm not saying that we I'm not saying the globes matter like to this extent. I'm just saying there have been some interesting correlations in recent years. So if there's something for Best Picture that you are, like to Cody's point, like a little hesitant about, um, I, I do think it is a good place to watch out. And I think that the movie this year that makes the most sense in that regard is Joker. I think if Joker gets a Golden Globe drama picture nomination, I think it's getting an Oscar Best Picture nomination. But if it misses at Globes, it's Joaquin and Tex.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, you all know I'm like one of the biggest skeptics about Joker and the Oscar race. But I, I will say that if it does manage to get nominated for Best Picture at the Globes, I will start rethinking things. That will be a really big boost to that movie. And it's very likely it will get nominated for Best Picture at the Globes. It, it seems like something that they would do. Um, Yeah, I'm not banking on that right now. I still think that that movie is going to face some obstacles coming up. But if it does manage to get something like that, I do think it'll be a really big get for that movie later down the
2: line. Agreed. Uh, This one comes from Zoe Jewell. Do we think that best actor is really between just Adam Driver and Joaquin Phoenix? Or is there someone else who you think could sneak in and steal it all?
1: De Niro, anybody else thinking De
2: Niro? No. I, I, no, I, I think that he is, um, I, I actually think he is now firmly in the best actor uh, predictions lineup for me, mostly because if Irishman is what we all think it is going to be, I don't see how you nominate that film in so many categories and he
1: doesn't come along with it. Yeah. Yeah. I just think Netflix is. I don't know if they're maybe waiting on this, but they absolutely could do um, a sort of like Meryl Streep Iron Lady situation, where it's like we haven't rewarded De Niro in almost forty years, and this is a good way to kind of give him an award for this chapter of his life. Uh, and you could do the same thing with Scorsese. You could really hammer home he only has one freaking Oscar, so like, let's give it to him for kind of you know the cap on his filmography. Hmm.
2: What do you guys think? Do you think there's anyone else besides Driver and Phoenix?
0: In my dreams, Leonardo DiCaprio would be a major contender, but I don't think that's happening.
2: It is unlike any performance he's ever given before, and it is kind of like, it's fascinating to me that we had this buildup for him winning the Oscar for The Revenant, and then once he won, it was like, all right, we did that, you know? Let's go back to yeah. uh, snubbing him here and there, potentially, uh, which is why I currently have him missing. I know some people are very, very uh, firm and holding on to that he will make it, but- I I don't know. It, Best actor is one of the tougher ones to actually predict this year because
4: yeah.
2: it really is Driver, Phoenix, and then everybody else.
4: Yeah, I am still holding on to the Jonathan Price um, potential. I realize that the Two Popes is kind of quiet right now, but I still think that that movie is in a good position to hit with the industry later down the line. So. I know I'm still kind of in a wait-and-see attitude with that movie, but I, I'm still putting on some hope for The Two Popes.
2: Yeah. And then there is uh, Taryn Egerton. Uh, Paramount's only film in the season this year is Rocketman.
4: Yeah. I mean, talk about a movie that needs globe recognition to stay yeah. in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. If it can't get in there, then it's, it ain't happening anywhere.
0: I mean, I would say he has a really good chance of getting in the Globes, though, in the musical category.
4: Yeah.
2: Uh, and then there is Eddie Murphy for Dolomite Is My Name. Who should be there. And he is going to be campaigning pretty hard throughout December. So there's that possibility. Then there's Antonio Banderas in uh, Pain and Glory.
4: Which I think is actually pretty likely to happen.
2: I, uh, yeah, I'm with you actually on this one because he's never been nominated before. I think that movie will be seen. Uh, One, because it's Pedro Almodovar. Two, it's in the Best International Feature uh, category. Uh, Three, it premiered early at Cannes, and it's had a a lot of time to sustain some buzz. It's premiered at a lot of different festivals. So, yeah, I think that Antonio stands a good chance to get a nomination like Javier Bardem for Beautiful, or I even kind of compare it somewhat to, um, uh, to what Willem Dafoe was able to pull off last year in At Eternity's Gate, where mm-hmm. that film had like zero heat whatsoever. I-, I think Pain and Glory even has more heat uh, for other categories than At Eternity's Gate did. And at yeah. the end of the day, it was, it, it, I mean, like, Defoe showed up last year, I think, only at like two places, right? Critics' Choice and Golden Globe, I think.
4: And, uh, was he not a I don't, th- I don't. think he was at sag. Uh,
2: no, he, he didn't he get sag. Did John David Washington got in sag for Black Klansman. Right, 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 right. Thank yeah. you. He won at Venice, didn't he? Didn't he win the best actor? He did. Yeah. yeah. And Antonio won best actor at Cannes.
1: Exactly. There yeah. You
2: go. I think there is a trajectory here for I, Antonio. I moved
1: Antonio into my Oscar predictions this past week, but I don't think if he misses Globes, that's any indication of anything. They very, very rarely nominate non-English performances.
2: Yeah. See, like I, I could see a world where he gets in at. I I could see him getting in at all of them, not across the board, mind you, but like I could see BAFTA going for him. I could see SAG going for him. I could see Critics' Choice going for him. Yeah. Golden Globe. I don't think he'll get in at all of them, but yeah, I don't think there's a world where he's likely to miss. I would just say that he's not a lock in any of them at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he might get two, maybe three out of the four.
4: Yeah, I think Antonio Banderas is also somebody that... We're going to be hearing a lot throughout the season of all of these different parties and events for Pain and Glory and celebrating his performance in that film. It feels like a movie that they're going to invite people in and remind them, hey, he's a great actor, long career. He's basically playing Amadovar, who you also like. Nominate him for this
2: movie.
3: Yeah, they haven't announced yet, but I can totally see him being on the actor roundtable for Hollywood Reporter.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and did he also win something like... Um uh, oh, did he win like, I don't know what it was, like the Hollywood Film Award or something like that
1: recently? <laughs> yeah, he won that like fake award. Yeah.
4: yeah.
2: Like, yeah. <laughs> Not <gonna get> <laughs> you,
1: but I mean, come on.
2: No, I know. I know. I'm just saying that, you know, there are efforts being made to uh, keep his
1: right. name it, in the conversation to um, uh, an effort at the very least.
2: Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, so that'll pretty much do it here for this week. Uh, we don't have Critics Awards uh, starting up just, just yet. Um, we have the Thanksgiving holiday to look forward to. Um, so I'm actually going to end it uh, by going around the table here and asking everyone uh, what is it what it is they're thankful for. Uh, so I'll start off with Josh Parham. Josh, uh, tell us what it is you're thankful for.
4: Uh, I am thankful for finally some good movies in 2019. The, mm-hmm. the last... Section of this year has been very has been surprisingly good, especially compared to how it kind of began. So uh, I'm thankful for that and thankful to
2: get to see him. Awesome. Really cool. Casey. Um,
3: I'm thankful that I have everything settled and planned out for my first ever trip to Sundance in January for Woo! the site. And I'm, I mean, I'm overall just thankful to be here working for working with all of you. But yeah, that's a big one.
1: Cody? I'm thankful that this has been a pretty good year for representation and diverse filmmaking, at least compared to um, what we're usually given. And even if uh, the Oscars or any awards in general don't steer in that direction, I think this will be looked at as a good year in that regards. And our newest member, Rebecca, what are you thankful for?
0: I am thankful for my amazing family and friends and some great movies to see this Thanksgiving week.
2: And I am thankful for all of you. I'm thankful for this community. I'm thankful for being able to do the thing that um I always wanted to do since I was young. and I, I may not have known it then that that's what I wanted to do specifically, but um, I'm living, I think, maybe the happiest years of my life and feels like my life actually has like purpose and meaning, and I couldn't ask for anything more than that for any life. So, I, I'm very, very thankful that I was able to find that. And I'm thankful that people enjoy it. Uh, friends, family, of course. Uh, and thankful for good movies, as always. <laughs> always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving, all. Uh, Cody, where can they find you on the internet?
1: You can find me everywhere on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at CodyMonster91. And you can give a listen to my horror movie podcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at HalloweenersPod. Casey
2: Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Josh Parham. I'm on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Rebecca Daniel.
0: You can go on my website, showmethemovies.net, and you can find me on Twitter at RebeccaDaniel95.
2: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 169 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, ACAST, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.